Good to see everyone this evening. If I have not had the privilege of meeting you, my name is Carter. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossbridge, and I'm excited to be here tonight. I'm excited to jump into episode three of our new series. We started a few weeks back called Woven Stories, but before we jump in, I want to say something that Gary and Kim didn't share, which I think is so cool. After that sermon on Jericho, they went home and actually measured the circumference of Jericho, and the prayer walk is the exact circumference that the Israelites walked around Jericho. And so I think that is so cool that it's so intentional asking God to move through multiple levels of intentionality from prayer to walking the exact distance. And so I hope that this Sunday you can carve out some time and come at 1030 uh, to pray with and for the church and with and for the gospel uh, here in Miami. And so it's exciting uh, that we are going to be engaging in that because as Johnny said, the beginning of gospel movement, the beginning of revival, uh, the beginning of the work of Jesus is in prayer. And I hope tonight you're going to see in, in a fresh way the importance of prayer, the importance of connecting intimately with God and with other people. That's the title of the sermon tonight. It's The Pursuit of Intimacy. A few weeks ago when we launched this series, we told you that we're going to be doing a series on relationships. We've called it Woven Stories because relationships are really just stories being woven together. Your friendships, your relationship with a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, with a parent to a child, all the different relationships in your life, you could really look at it as two separate stories being weaved together. And the, the deeper and the closer you become, the more you develop that, the more of your story you share and the more of the story that you learn of the other, the closer and more tight-knit you become. And so two weeks ago when we started the series, we said that in order for you to weave your story with another, you need to know yourself. You have to know your story. Last week, we looked at one of the great barriers to relationship and to developing and deepening our friendships, our marriages, our romantic interest is because of shame. We talked about the antidote of shame. And tonight, we're going to lo be looking into the pursuit of intimacy something that we all know is an important part of every relationship, that there's an intimate connection. Now, I'm going to tell you how this is going to work tonight. I'm going to frame this sermon with our text in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. And we are then going to move and discuss the nature of intimacy, the barriers to intimacy, and return back at the end of this discussion together in Ephesians. And so you're going to see at the very beginning the passage we're going to be working through, but you're not going to understand why that passage was chosen for this topic until we get to the end. So a little suspense. I want to open tonight with a quote from a pastor and uh, a mentor, uh, a figure in my life that has had great impact, and that's uh, Tim Keller, who was a pastor of Redeemer in New York City, theologian and an author. Uh, really, God has used him in so many incredible ways. And I think this is one of my favorite quotes of his. He says this, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. But to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. Isn't that true? If we think about our relationships, the different types of relationships we have, 
many relationships, there's love, but it's superficial because we don't really know each other. We're holding things back. We're not sharing things, and the same is true of the other person. And one of our greatest fears in life is for someone to really know us and then to not love us. It's a great fear. Often is what restricts us to be intimate, vulnerable, honest, open. So hold on to that as we look into our passage tonight, Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14 through verse 19. Here's what God's word says to us. It's the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus as an extension to us. He says this. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and height and depth And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So intimacy. We all know that relationships require intimacy, that strong relationships, healthy relationships are intimate. The best friends intimately know each other. The best marriages are rooted in an intimate knowledge of the whole person. A parent seeks to know their child and love their child. They want their child to know that. The best relationships have an intimate connection. And intimacy is multifaceted. There's different levels of intimacy. And not every relationship has all the levels. So when you think about intimacy, and when I say intimacy, here's what I mean. I mean physical intimacy, which is also different from sexual intimacy. Talking about social intimacy, emotional intimacy, intellectual intimacy, and spiritual intimacy. Different relationships require different levels of an intimate connection along those lines. C.S. Lewis, in one of his great works, writes about the different loves that we have in our life. It's called the four loves. And he talks about how almost every relationship that we have could be categorized in one of these four types of love, and that in order for you to develop and deepen those loves in your life, you need an intimate connection, a greater knowledge of the other person and them a knowledge of you. And so because I think visual things help, here's a little diagram for you to see the four loves as C.S. Lewis writes. He says, first, there's storge love. This is like the love that is within a family. It's really a type of affection for another. It's the broadest form of love. Then you have philia love, which is friendship. Interestingly, he says that this is the most rare and uncommon type of love. It's the most unnatural friendship. Then he speaks about eros love. That's romantic love. This is the I'm in a state of love. It's the I choose you, let's get married type of love. It's where you choose the whole person, emotional, intellectual, physical, spiritual. That's, that type of love incor- incorporates all the levels of intimacy. And then lastly, there's agape love. This is charity unconditional love. It's the type of love that God has for us, 
and the type of love that is to be formed in us for other people. So these are the type of loves that the different relationships that we have fall within. They're the loves of our story. And in order for these loves to be developed and deepened, strengthened and stable and healthy, you need an intimate connection with the other person, the person that you have affection for, your friend, the person that you're romantically committed to. Spiritual connection, a relationship with God and as an ex extension to others. So I was thinking about what are some of the things that intimacy requires? I, I wrote five things down that I think intimacy requires. If you're going to have an intimate connection with someone else, these things have to be a part of your relationship. You have to be committed to them. First one is honesty. You have to be honest about what you think, about what you feel. And therefore, you have to be vulnerable. You have to be willing to share the stuff that's difficult to speak about, that you don't want just anyone and everyone to know. You have to be loyal. Create that safety within the relationship. You have to be a person of integrity, that the other person knows that what you say is what you mean. And you have to be a person of confidentiality. Because no one's going to share in response if they don't know that you will hold what they say tight, if you won't keep it a secret. So if we know, and I think if we went around the room and said, do you agree with me that in order for you to develop an intimate connection with your spouse, with a boyfriend, with a girlfriend, with a friend, with your child, with a loved one, that you need to be committed to honesty, vulnerability, loyalty, integrity, and confidentiality. I think almost all of us here, or maybe all of us, would say, yes, I agree. Those things are required for intimacy. But here's the question. Why then is it difficult to develop a richer love within the family? Why then is it difficult at times to develop and to deepen an ever-increasing love within a romantic relationship, within a marriage? Why then is it a struggle to see your friendship go to another level of knowledge of the other? What is it that keeps these things back from developing deeper, developing further, intimacy on different levels strengthened? And I think the answer is really quite simple. It's that many of us in our relationships have a waning intimacy, a weak intimacy, a stalled intimacy. And I'm going to say something, and I'm going to need you to stay with me here, okay? Hold on. And I think in large part, and I'm not saying this is totally true for every single person, but I think for many of us, and this explains the rise of these things I'm going to speak about, that many of us here want to have a more intimate connection with our friends, with our spouse, with our boyfriend, with our girlfriend, with our children, with loved ones in our life. We want that. We desire that. And so what we have begun to do is to pursue personality clarity in order to pursue intimacy. The problem is if you can, you can mask the pursuit of intimacy by looking to gain clarity around your personality. So... What I mean by that is, you are not going to develop intimacy simply because you know your Enneagram and your five love languages. Okay? 
Just because you have studied the Enneagram and the Myers-Briggs and all these other tools, there's many of them, and you know your love language does not mean now that all the different relationships you have are going to get deeper and you're going to be more intimately connected with them. In fact, though I believe these things can be good tools, they can also be tools to justify behavior that's keeping you from being intimately connected, and they can be tools to serve yourself. It's true. Now, just so you know that I'm not totally destroying these things, I'm an Enneagram 7. I, I saw this. Check this out. I saw this meme this week. Here's two of them that I laughed at. The next slide. Seven's trying to convince everyone to get on board with their new idea. That's exactly me. It literally on the bottom says, this is a dream that I've had since lunch, and I'm not giving up on it now. And then I, I'm not a one. The one is the perfectionist, I believe, but I, I just love this picture of the man crying, and it says, an Enneagram 1 watching someone fold towels the wrong way. And some of you are like, I get it. I would cry too. Some of you, when you go to the hotels and they make the towel in the swan, you Google and you've, you've learned how to do that because you're an Enneagram one. These things can be helpful tools, just like the five love languages. You may be like, what's the five love languages? Well, I found another slide, guys. Check this one out. This is amazing. Okay, words of affirmation. Your tacos are delicious. Acts of service, I made you tacos. Receiving gifts, here's a taco. Quality time, let's go out for tacos together. Physical touch, let me hold you like a taco. <laughs> These things can be helpful. They are tools that can actually help to deepen a connection when you know how to show love to the other person and you know some of the personality quirks and traits that you have. But I need you to hear this, okay? Just because you know your love language and just because you know your Enneagram number and the other person that you're a friend with or in relationship with does not mean that you're going to pursue a deeper level of intimacy with them. In fact, sometimes it can be like this. I'm so sorry that I didn't hold that in confidentiality. I'm an Enneagram 7 and I got too excited so I had to share it with other people. Or I have a hard time being honest and I don't want to be vulnerable because I'm an Enneagram 6 or an 8 and I have trust issues. Or the reason that we're not connecting is because you're not showing me love in the way that I need to be loved. You're not filling up my love tank. I haven't seen tacos arrive. And I'm gifts, you know? Sometimes we can use these things to blame the other person for the reason that intimacy is not being developed. Or to say, well, it's not, sorry, it's not, it's not really me, it's my personality. It's not good. Because though we might may say that hey, the pursuit of intimacy requires honesty and vulnerability and loyalty and integrity and confidentiality, it also requires ownership and charity. Ownership of those things yourself. I need to be honest. I need to be vulnerable. I need to be loyal. I need to be a person of integrity. I need to be confidential. It doesn't matter what my Enneagram numbers, what my Myers-Briggs, it doesn't matter my personality, I need to be committed to those things and then I need to be charitable to the other person when they fail or myself when I fail. I need to see that kind of unconditional, charitable, agape love developed in me because that is a core of the pursuit of intimacy in any relationship because no one does it perfectly. Ownership and charity it's also required in the pursuit of intimacy. 
And I was thinking, as I was writing the sermon this past week, okay, where do we go from here? You know, like, we got that, those five things, and ownership, and charity, and you can't justify behavior because your personality, and sometimes tools of the type of way you receive love can be used to serve yourself instead of thinking about the other. Because the truth is, the pursuit of intimacy is rooted in the pursuit of the other, not the pursuit of yourself. If you want to pursue intimacy in a relationship, you need to pursue the other person, not yourself. And so here's what I thought. I Googled how to develop intimacy in relationships. 49 million plus hits. And here's what I found. Here's the common things that have come out. Celebrate each other. Have regular check-ins. Plan shared activities. Oprah said, embrace your stretch zone. Here's what that means. She said it's like you got to share a little bit more personal, a little bit more personal, and a little bit more personal. And then you'll develop intimacy. Now listen, celebrating each other, having regular check-ins, planning shared activities, embracing your stretch zone, sharing more personal things. These things are all great. These things are, there's nothing wrong with these things. They're good. The problem is this. In almost every single article that I read, and almost every single thing that I looked to about how to develop intimacy in a friendship, in a, in a marriage, the boyfriend, a girlfriend, between parent and child, there was one thing missing in every single article. God. Missing. Nowhere to be found. Here's a question. If you exclude the one who designed and planted the desire for intimacy in your heart, do you think you're going to develop intimacy with another person? How can you remove the person from the equation who actually gave you the desire to be intimately connected with another? Now, many places and many articles would say connect spiritually with each other. Christians will say it is important for you to be spiritually intimate with another, to be spiritually connected with your friends and with your spouse and with your, within your family. But it's always so generalized. It's very general. Just connect spiritually. And even God is left out of the equation there too. You see, here's the truth. Spiritual intimacy is the most important level of intimacy. The most important. And yet it's the hardest to develop. It's the hardest to deepen and to find, and yet it is the most important. I want you to think of yourself like a letter, okay? Think of yourself like a letter. The outside of a letter is the envelope. Consider this to be your outer self. This is your body. And so this is how you connect with people physically, how you connect with people sexually, how you connect with people socially. This is what represents the physical intimacy, social intimacy, and sexual intimacy in relationships that you have. It's the envelope. It's the outer self. It's the body. It's your strength. Now, the envelope matters of a letter. Why? Because you know that how an envelope is treated will affect what's inside of the envelope. And so if you, if you bend it and if you break it and if you rip it, it's going to affect what's inside. So it's important to care for the body well, to, to be mindful of how you engage socially, of what you use your body for. In fact, on the envelope, you address it to people. And so it matters who you address your body to. 
It matters who you engage with and, and the parameters that you place around that level of connection, physical intimacy, sexual intimacy, and social intimacy. The envelope matters. The outer self, the body matters. And when you address yourself to someone and you begin to deepen your level of intimacy with them, you invite them to the next level of who you are, and that's the card that's on the inside. Now, the outside of the card is what represents your heart and your mind. It's your inner self. This is how you feel and how you think and what you're processing and the fears that you have and the emotions in the moment that you're working through. And so when you address the outer self to somebody and you invite them inside, you invite them to see you for who you are. And sometimes you may feel like this like bossy little dog, you know, with a vibe, driving this car top down. You're like, you're feeling bright. You're feeling strong. You're feeling hopeful. Life is good. You invite people in to see this. And sometimes you may feel like this cat that's just like barely hanging on. You know, this is like when you go on Instagram and you put this up and you just say mood. It's like that, right? You feel you're down, you're struggling, you're feeling anxious, you're just feeling tired. See, the outside of the card represents your heart, it represents your mind, it's, it's what you're thinking, it's what you're feeling. And, and when people are invited into that, they are invited to pull out that card and, and see you for who you are. But don't you know that the most important part of the card, the most important part of a letter, is what's written on the inside? the words that are written. It's what it says. You see, the words on the inside of the card, that's your actual self. That's what the Bible calls your, your spirit, and it's your soul. Because what is written on the inside affects everything else. It makes sense of the outside. It, it, it warms the heart of the person because they were invited to see that part of you. You address the envelope to them. They saw not only your heart and your mind, but they saw your spirit and your soul. And what's written there on your heart, on your soul, on your spirit, is the most important part of who you are. And yet I think if most of us were honest and vulnerable, and we had integrity in what we said, we would, we would say, you know what, there's a lot of people that know me socially, that I, I, my relationship and my, and my marriage I'm, I'm connected with physically. There are some people that know me emotionally and intellectually. But how many people really know you spiritually, your soul, your spirit, your actual self, the one that guides everything else, the one that affects everything else, the one that when you receive a card, what you hold on to more than anything are the words written inside of it. That is your spirit and your soul, friends. You see, your spiritual intimate connection with another person is the most important connection that you can foster and develop and deepen, and yet it is the most elusive in most relationships. It's the most elusive. So how do you pursue it? How do you pursue spiritual intimacy? Most websites and talks will say something like this. You should go to church with your friends. You should go to church with your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. You should read the Bible and pray together and share and discuss together. You should meditate together. You should serve together. 
These are all good things. Things that help and aid in the development of connection, a spiritual connection with another person. They're, they're good, but it's not the answer. And this is what's missing from every article and talk that I have listened to and read on connecting intimately with another person and pursuing intimacy and developing spiritual intimacy is that God is missing from the equation. See, listen to me. You cannot intimately connect with another person. You cannot intimately connect with some, another person around God if you are not yourself intimately connected with God. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you are not intimately connected with God, you cannot intimately connect with someone else around God. You can go to church, you can serve, you can read the Bible and pray, you can do all of these activities, but if you are not intimately connected yourself with God, how can you expect to intimately connect with another person around God? You can't. You yourself must connect intimately with God. You can plan shared activities, and you can set aside quality time, and you can celebrate each other, and you can do all of these other things and develop physical, sexual, and intellectual, emotional, social intimacy with other people. But you will always have a ceiling on your intimate connection with them if you do not spiritually connect with them. But you can only spiritually connect with another person if you are first spiritually and intimately connected with God. You yourself have to be intimately connected with God for you to connect with anybody else spiritually. And yet my fear is that that's missing. Remember I told you we're going to come back to the text. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 3. Starting in verse 14 again. This is his prayer, okay? His prayer for the church and his prayer for you and me. He says, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father. Here's what I am praying. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. What's he praying? That according to the riches of his glory that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That is your actual self, in your spirit, in your soul, that you'd be strengthened with power through the spirit. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you will be rooted and grounded in love, that you may be able to comprehend with your mind, with all the saints, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and that you, he's speaking about your whole self, may be filled with the fullness of God. Here's what he says. I am praying this. I am praying that you, in your spirit and your soul, will be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit, so that your heart might know Jesus, that your heart might be able to Feel and experience the, the love and the grounding nature of God's love over you. And that your mind may know and understand with all the saints what is the love of God. So that your whole self would be filled with the fullness of God. Here's what Paul is praying, friends. He's praying for spiritual intimacy. He's praying that the church would be intimately connected with the very God who made them and loves them and died and rose to prove it. That quote I read at the very beginning from Pastor Tim Keller, I left out the second half on purpose. Here's what it says, and it's 
entirety. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. See, the love of God is that he knows you fully. And he loves you truly. This is what Paul prayed. He prayed for you and he prayed for me. He prayed for the church that we would be rooted and grounded in that knowledge, in that truth, that this is the type of unconditional, agape, charitable, gracious love that God has. It is the basis of everything. Listen, your faith is intimacy, period. Your faith is about intimacy, more than you growing and improving, more than you inviting God into your plans, more than you showing gratitude to God. These things are all great and a part of faith, but your faith at its core is about intimately knowing God, knowing him and his love and his goodness and his faithfulness and his heart for you, that you would get the right words written on your soul and your spirit because it affects everything else when you're intimately connected with God and he's writing the right words in your spirit and your soul so that you may share them with others. Your faith is about intimacy with God. Don't take my words for it. These are Jesus' words. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 says this. Many will come to me on the last days and they'll say, Lord, Lord. Hey, they'll say, hey, Jesus, we did so many great things for you. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons. We were performing miracles. Like, if you look at our life, Jesus, like, we were doing amazing. We went to church all the time. We led Bible studies. We were serving. We are doing it all, Jesus. He says, I will look at them and I will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. And that word know is not intellectual. That word know is the language of intimacy. Jesus says that they will depart because he never knew them. So they never knew him. There was not an intimate connection. Your faith is about intimacy. And my fear, friends, is that we have made church and faith about other good things but the simple pleasure and joy of knowing God more. That we have made faith about learning and understanding and oftentimes arguing theological points. We have made it about causes and concerns. We've made it about finding friends. We've made it about learning helpful wisdom for your everyday life. We've made it about an experience to have a spiritual shot of espresso to start your week off right. These are all good things. They're benefits and blessings of faith. But they're not the core. The core of your faith is to know God more. What's the greatest commandment? It is to love God with all of your strength, your outer self, your heart, and your mind, and your soul. Your whole self. And it starts by knowing him in your actual self, intimately connected with God. There's a saying that you may have heard before is that Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. Can I get an amen? Amen. Christianity isn't a a religion. It's a relationship. Here's my fear is that we say it with our lips, but it's not true in our heart. That for many of us, we've made Christianity about do's and don'ts. It's about religion. 
It's about what time is it? How long has he been preaching for? It's about, I'm not really like a sing songs to God guy. It's a, I go to church when there's not other things that are more important, to be honest. It's a, I'll serve like when there's a need, but yeah, I got a lot going on right now, maybe later in the future. So I read my Bible sometimes because I realize that I'm not reading my Bible and I try to form a habit around it. And I know it's supposed to be good, and it's, the Bible says it's good to read the Bible, so that's what I'm going to do. And I pray when I need something. I'm having a hard time. I, I want you to hear this. The greatest distraction and one of the, the chief schemes of the deceiver, of Satan himself, is to cause you to feel good about your Christian religion. That it seemingly is good when you feel like you're in control of your faith and you're balancing the scales. Go to church to balance the scales. Read the Bible to balance the scales. Pray a little bit more to balance the scales. Serve to pay it forward and balance the scales. It's been a little bit about me. It may be about somebody else. I, I've been doing well. I got surplus. God will give you some too. Balancing the scales. And it feels good when you're in control and when you feel like you're balancing the scales and you're doing things well and you're trying your best. It's not what faith is about. It's not about performing for God in any certain way or for other people. It is about knowing God. Intimately knowing him. Satan wants you to feel that faith is about balancing the scales. It's not. Here's what it is. Faith is beholding the Savior. That's what your faith is about. You want to intimately connect with God? Understand that it is about at its core knowing Jesus more, knowing God your Father more, experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit more, knowing the triune God in a more profound and full way and having the love of God root and ground in your soul. That is what faith is about. It's what the whole Bible is saying from the very beginning to the end. In fact, your eternal state will be to know God perfectly and fully to love him perfectly and fully. It's about intimacy. See, the driving factor for you to come to church on Sunday night is because you know that Jesus promised when we're gathered together, he's uniquely present. And so you want to come here to know him and love him. It's bigger and better than anything else you could be invited to. The reason that you want to read your Bible and pray as often as you can is because God said that, yes, I'm the creator of the universe, but I want to have a relationship with you. And the core of every relationship is talking with one another and listening to one another. And you know how you listen to God? You read his word. You know how you talk to God? You pray. He says he listens to every prayer. And you serve and you give and you live sacrificially. Because as you've experienced the love of God who gave everything for you, he died on the cross for you and rose from the dead to prove his victory that forms you to show that kind of love for other people. And then Jesus said this in Matthew 25. He says, when you serve the least of these, when you live generous for other people, it's as if you're doing it to me. You're serving Jesus when you serve other people. See, the basis and motivation of everything that we do in our faith is to know God more and to love him more. That is the basis, and here's the truth, and I hope you hear this. You want to intimately connect with other people in a deeper, more profound way, emotional intimacy, intellectual intimacy, social intimacy, physical, sexual intimacy. You want your relationships to deepen and to flourish. 
pursue an intimate connection with God and every other part of your relationships will flourish and deepen because you got the words of your soul right, because your spirit is in the right place. What's written on the inside of the card affects everything else. It gives you the courage to be vulnerable and honest. It gives you the support to be a person of integrity and loyalty. It gives you the charge to be charitable and confidential. And it gives you the spirit of security to take ownership of those things. And so I want to close tonight by reading this psalm that I've been reading this week. And I just think it's so beautiful. David's writing this in a tough place. And I want to ask this song, this psalm, uh, to be our prayer to intimately connect with God as we prepare to come to his table where he said he's present spiritually and that you'd know him and you'd receive his love. So will you close your eyes, friends, and would you pray with me? And, and as we have our eyes closed and we're preparing our hearts to pray, would you, would you just know this? Would you call this to your mind that the God of the universe is listening to our prayer at this moment, that he is in this room, that as I pray, he knows exactly what is on your heart, what you are facing, the doubts that you have, and he holds none of it against you. He loves you. He knows you fully, and he loves you truly. And so from this place, would we pray this prayer? Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you. In this parched and weary land where there is no water, I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. Would that be true, God? Because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. But those plotting to destroy me will come to ruin. They will go down into the depths of the earth. They will die by the sword and become food to jackals. Because you are the king and I will rejoice in you, God. All who swear to tell this truth, praise him. Praise him.